Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 31 of the Kennedy Mile Report, brought to you by our great sponsor, Clio. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Tom, people should know we're on our own today outside the Legal Talk Network studio and missing, I'm frankly missing our fabulous LTN production team for this recording session. Me too. And to complicate matters further for you, at least, you left the choice of topic completely <laughs> up to me. And I picked one of my favorite topics, uh, something I've done recently, done an article on, which is developing and setting legal technology strategies with a focus on diversification. So do you want to tell people what all we have on tap for this episode? Absolutely. This week, we'll talk about some easy ways to think about developing a strategic direction for your legal technology investments. In our second segment, we'll have another round of things Dennis and Tom have been talking about. This time, it deals with social media. And as usual, we'll end with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can begin to use as soon as the podcast is over. But on to our main topic, uh, diversification in technology. Dennis, we're all familiar with the idea of diversity. Uh, as an abstract theme, but technology is probably one area where we don't hear it discussed much. Why do you think diversity is important for us to, uh, to think about and to discuss when considering the technology that we use? Well, Tom, a lot of my thinking about legal technology has been influenced by uh, work I've done in the past and that involves the, the world of investments uh, and something called modern portfolio theory, and which is the, the idea that in our investments, our retirement plans and such, we're always better off with the diversified approach, sort of low risk, r- low return assets, high risk, high return as some portion, but you're better with the whole bundle, a diversified bundle. Yeah over the long haul that reflects your own you know, risk reward tolerance. And that's always going to be better off in the long haul than taking the safest approach or obviously taking the riskiest approach. And so I've always played with the idea that this also made, made sense in technology. And so the key would be how do we establish a portfolio approach? So look at legal technology as a whole portfolio and then look at the risk and reward in there and see if we're all kind of clustered in one area or we can define diversify and kind of uh, get both benefit and greater uh, comfort, I think, about our approach to legal technology investment. Well, I like this idea, and and I think that it, it certainly beats... Having, you know, for, for a firm that has no strategic plan, just, just engaging in, in the strategic planning process of any kind, whether it be for technology or for the direction of your firm can be difficult. And, and if a company or law firm doesn't have that strategic plan, uh, this type of portfolio approach, I think might be a, 
simpler and easier to comprehend tool to to, to start thinking about a, a legal technology strategy. But I kind of want to play cross-examiner uh, on this episode with you about this and kind of get an idea from you on how this would, would flesh out. So, I, when I think about investing, I think about having things that are uh, low risk but may have lower return. I think about things that may be of a higher risk but that may have a higher return. So, how does that translate to technology? What what do you, when you say high return uh, or, or high risk, how does that translate to technology? Well, I, I think you, you do draw the analogies from the world of investment. And, and like I said, you, you want to think in terms of a portfolio. So, uh, that, that caters to your approach to the world. And so, in, you know, in the same way in my retirement plan, I probably have a different mix of things than you do, but it's, I'm going to have a, a spread of different approaches. So, when I, when I think of high return in the, in the world of legal technology, I think of technology that potentially brings in new income or, you know, accelerates the process that you get income or sets up new, uh, you know, areas of business. So there's actual uh, new way of thinking about things and using technology in a new way. In some ways, I, I think electronic discovery for some firms is, is a potential area. The low risk, low return um, is uh, that's the bread and butter stuff. You know, everything from backup to security to making sure your network stays up on a regular basis. And then you, you sort of fill in the, the area in between with the other technology that you. You try so you know remote computing, uh, you know video conferencing, some of those things where you say, well, how do they fit into this approach? And 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 so my thought is is that it's both a, a way to organize what you're doing and what you're planning to do, and a way to get you to think about it because because I think merely by categorizing what you're doing and looking at them, and I use risk and return, uh, Tom, but I mean you, you can think of it as cost benefit. There are there are other approaches you might be comfortable with would kind of say, can I think more economic in economic terms uh, about the technology that I'm going to do? So, I, I, does that give you an idea of, of where I'm going with this, Tom? It, get, it gives me an idea, but it gives me a follow-up question, too. So, I, I understand that uh, when I'm looking at something that is potentially high return, I'm looking at something that has the potential to bring in new business. So, I would maybe think of examples like client extranets uh, that uh, other firms don't have. The ability to give my client access to their case files and calendars and billing 24-7. Or, or marketing materials, using te um, technology for marketing purposes, setting up blogs, becoming more visible in your social media profile probably has a, has a potential to be high return. But let's turn that over to high risk. You know, lawyers are generally pretty risk averse. And so, why, what is the, what, what's the justification? Why is a lawyer going to want to look at technology and say, hey, I... You know, I I, I want to get more 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 uh, income and more business out of this. I'm going to go for that high risk technology. What do, what do you mean when we say high risk? Well, I let's go back to, to one of the examples that you you talked about, and which is say I do a simple client extranet, and on that extranet I make available the the pleadings, the filings that I've done for my client in the court system. Okay, so they're publicly available. I'm basically putting together a simple extranet that's like a portal to my client to get 
uh, you know, matters that have already been filed. It's not work in progress. I don't have confidentiality issues. I don't have that sort of thing. But it, the client could really love that and help tie them to the firm, um, give them, you, you know, Give them an awareness of you. Want them to help them uh, decide to send you more business. So, sure. in in a way, that's sort of low risk. But that's, if that's if, low if, risk there, sure. But if you say, "Hey, instead of that as a first step, I'm going to do this client extranet, and it's going to they're, they're going to be able to come in and see their work in progress. They're going to be able to see their billing. They're going to see the time that we put in. They're going to be able to you know really lift up the hood and and look at things, see drafts, all this sort of stuff. We're going to have this." you know, multi-channel conversation going on. To me, that's, there's potential high return there, but that's high risk, high cost. You know, you, you may try with clients who just don't like it, but compared to the other one, uh, the simpler approach, you would say, you know, that I get, I, it, you know, it doesn't seem like it's going to cost much. I can try it, roll it out with some clients. And, um, if it works well in that case, I can add to it later. Um, to get up to what I would call the sort of more high return or, or a little bit higher risk investment. So that's, that's the way I kind of see it is, is you look sort of the evolution of, of projects and say, uh, where do they fit on? Uh, and I, and I did a grid, a three by three grid, sort of low, medium and high. And in order to help people map, uh, their technology onto that. And, and that's the approach I, I like to say. So what's sort of the spread of the projects I'm looking? What are the, the what are those squares? in the grid that I'm comfortable with? And then uh, what is my uh, diversification? So how are things spread throughout the whole grid? And am I overbalanced in one area or another? You know, and I, and, I, and I understand how when we talk about high risk in that regard, when, when we talk about providing um, more information to the client, we're uh, using continuing with the example of the extranet, providing more information to the client. We are uh, we're, we, we have the potential for a higher return. Obviously, if I'm just providing publicly available information on my client extranet, I'm not providing I, it might be convenient all in one place, but it's not the one stop shop that they would want it to be. And so I think that 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 risk doesn't necessarily have to be uh, risk of compromising confidentiality, but it, but I I think that's how most lawyers would see it, and and you know by the same token, uh, lawyers might look at the the return uh, axis of your grid and really think that uh, that return is cost. Now, lots of lawyers that I talk to say, you know, I'm I'm not worried about the cost. I want to know what the return on my investment is going to be. But you have a lot of lawyers, and I would imagine that solo and small firm lawyers come into this uh, category who are thinking, what's it going to cost me? And really, what that return means is cost. What do you have? to say to lawyers who are, are thinking in those terms? Well, I, I think that lawyers don't pay enough attention to costs, and especially the cost of projects they've started that aren't working out so well, and whether it's time to pull the plug on them. But to go back to your basic question, I, I think that I, I say, let's push the analogy further. So, I, I want to look at the technology projects I am, and some of them are going to be like CDs, and some are going to be like municipal bonds, and some are going to be like small cap stocks. And in the same way that I'm putting together a portfolio of financial investments, I need to start looking at 
my legal technology investments in the same in the same way. And I, I just think it's a really useful metaphor. And you know, and and so all the things that come into play when you're doing your your financial planning um, also come into your technology planning. So you say, well, we, what is what is the mix um, and what is the 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 term that I'm looking at is it short term? I'll do different things. I'll certainly be more conservative, uh, potentially over short term than long term. I can try different things. It, you know, as as I said, what what is the mix? And so, so those are the things that I think this approach forces you into and helps you look at what you're doing in a completely different way. That I think makes it simple and and um, gives you a solid basis to the, to make that next step, which. Is is, which is a strategy step to say, okay, why am I doing the things I'm doing? And can we balance what we're doing a little bit better? I agree completely. Let's, um, let's take out and finish up this first, uh, this first segment of the podcast. Give, give our audience some ideas for how to get started on, uh, on doing this type of portfolio-based approach to legal technology strategy. Well, I mean, I have the article in Law Practice today, the April issue. Um, there's a grid there, uh, and I give about a five-step suggestion to help you say, let's look at things, let's map them out, let's uh, move them around on uh, you know, just draw a big chart, see what the, see where things shake out, see what that tells you about what you're doing and what you're planning to do. And then maybe use that to say, what, what is my strategy today? Cause I think a lot of people don't have any, a lot of firms don't have any strategies at all. And, uh, I, I was, I was telling you before the short time, I once did a little bit of work for a firm that had its, had a defined strategy, better defined than I've ever seen a firm, but their strategy was totally, they wouldn't have a totally stable network. We went through this type of exercise and what they, what surprisingly, even a couple of years ago, uh, they, they became interested in cloud computing, electronic discovery as a potential new line of business, uh, some other things like that, because they could do these things and they had a little better, you know, chance of higher return, but they didn't affect the core issue of, of the network stability. So those are the things I do. And I would say, I just point to the article and say, get yourself a piece of paper, draw the grid, start mapping stuff out, see what it tells you. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from the Legal Talk Network and our sponsor, Clio. Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web-based. Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for our free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code KMR for a 25% discount. Engage your brain. Keep up with the fast pace of the legal profession. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and listen to all of our great legal podcasts. They're free. Interested in having a show on Legal Talk Network? We'd like to talk to you about building your firm's marketing strategy with legal podcasts. Give us a call at 781-551-9960. That's LegalTalkNetwork.com. And welcome back to the Kennedy Mall Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. 
We have another edition of what Tom and Dennis have actually been talking about lately segment, but I also want to remind listeners they can send us questions about legal technology, and we'll try to answer them in one of our Q&A segments. Tom, we've been talking this week about the phenomenon of social media experts and gurus and the discussion and, I guess, even controversy that seems to blown, have blown up lately around the very idea of social media experts. Do you, do you want to tee up that topic? And I'll pitch in with some of my perspectives as well. Yeah, I. What got us started talking about this was the fact that you and I have been have been on the internet and and doing things and blogging and participating in the online discussion for you know many years now. Me since uh, since two thousand two, you around the same period of time, and never in my in the past eight years have I seen so many folks come up and call themselves social media experts or gurus. And I think that there are a lot of snarky comments that you might find on Twitter that uh, nine out of every ten people uh, on Twitter. Would will have in their bio that they are a social media expert. And back when blogging was popular, you know, first became popular, you would start to see people who were giving advice, giving education on how to blog and the right rules and the right things to talk about, but never really in this volume, uh, I think, that we've seen for what we call the social media expert or social media guru. And I, my favorite is social media evangelist, that, uh, that you've got a lot of these individuals out there who don't appear to have a lot of qualifications other than the fact that they've actually just started uh, started using the tools and uh, maybe maybe we're heading for a new paradigm of what qualifies one to be an expert but I'm not sure that uh, that the skills that I have in using social media are any different from these individuals yet they call themselves expert am I missing something here Dennis you know it, it is really an intriguing phenomenon and I actually go back to uh, I'll go back to 1995 when I first did my my web page and what I see is this compression of the evolution. So, you saw the same thing sort of happen with the first lawyer's web pages, but over maybe a period of five years um, where people became, you know, people just went out, lawyers just went out, we did websites, you know, and we experimented and was, and we tried all these things and we talked to each other. And then, you know, gradually you had people who were kind of professionalized the you know, web design and especially as it related to lawyers over time is they kind of systematized and took the best of what other people were doing. Um, and then with blogging, the same thing sort of happened, but in a, I would say in a couple year, maybe two or three year period with, with social media. Um, and, and with social media, it's kind of funny to me when I hear the word social media expert, because I describe myself using almost the same letters, but I add a few more things. Because to me, I'm I'm a social media experimenter. And I've been, you know, Tom, we've been doing some of these social media things for three plus years, maybe even longer in some longer cases, than something, something like LinkedIn. And I just think that I'm a total experimenter and I'm just trying stuff. And, you know, there's some things that, that come over from blogging and from doing a website, but it's different. And I try to learn from people. So, um, and there's so many different social media things. It's really difficult for me to say, okay, so how do you become a social media expert? I mean, I see how stuff works for people, 
And I, and I think that's, I think that's maybe what you were kind of getting at time is, is that feeling you get when you say, Hey, I'm out there and I'm just doing it. You know, I'm not, I'm not thinking about, you know, how I do this stuff. It's blogging. We started blogging and we just, we're out there and we're just doing it every day and we're making it up as we go. And then somebody comes along and says, Hey, here, here are the things you do. And it goes from sort of like, here are good practices to here are the rules. And then one day you realize you've been blogging for four or five years and you see a list of rules for bloggers, especially law bloggers, and you're not following any of the rules. Uh, and you're going like, Hey, wait, I, I thought I was a lawyer <laughs> blogger and I, I thought I was doing a good job at it. And, and look, I've broken every single one of the rules and every, and all the bloggers I like have broken a lot of the rules too. But, but I think it's a necessary and, and useful phenomenon to say, Hey, you know, those of us who kind of went out there early on, uh, we are making it up and, and we're trying to share with people what we think works and, you know, what we're discovering out there. And, and then it's great that there's, you know, a group of people who come along and say, now we can help others do it by kind of, you know, learning what has worked for other people. And, and I think with a lot of people who consider themselves social media experts, they have actually, uh, you know, they, they have really good success in what they've done on, on, you know, one, two or more of the social media platforms. So they do have something to say. I just am not sure yet that it's an area where there is actual, you know, kind of scientific, solid expertise that you can say, if, if you do the same things, you will get these great results. Cause I, I don't know. To me, it's just a big experiment right now. Well, I think it's an experiment too, and I think that uh, I think that what's also you know not proven yet is that the individuals who say that they're social media experts really can make a living uh, working with individuals doing this. And and I want to go back real quick to, to what you said about the the uh, I think you said the compression of the evolution and and try and find an analogy for that. One thing that I've been struck by is when the iPad was released, there were a lot of news reporters and commentators and experts who said that uh, it was amazing how the iPad sold, got to a million sold much faster than the iPod did or the iPhone did. But to me, that wasn't surprising at all because we're, uh, by that point, the, the, the consumers have been familiar, are familiar with what Apple can do. They're familiar with the iPhone. They know that an iPad is going to be very similar, uh, and they're going to, uh, to to rush to get it much faster than they did before when they were maybe a little skeptical, didn't have that kind of experience. And I think that with social media, it's the same because we you know, didn't see that rush with blogging until recently. The past few years, there's been more of a rush. And then I think that the barrier to entry has gotten so much lower with sites like Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter, making it so easy. You know, it's so much easier than a blog to get involved. You can just sign up and you're, 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 so, you're social mediaing when you, when you do this. And I, I think that that has a lot to do with why we're seeing such volumes of people. I just really am not sold yet on, on the idea of whether these folks are experts and whether there's an industry here. Uh, but I'm sure interested to see where it all ends up going. Well, and I also think you go back to, I mean, I guess I did in early days of websites and with blogging is there are people who you can tell are really doing something cool. And, and it's great when you get to, you get to know them. And, um, I mean, and that's our history of blogging. And, 
Uh, and you see the same. But, but, but same let, me, let, me, let me interrupt and say that, you know, the people who are really doing something cool may not call themselves a social media expert. They may not be trying to sell anything. They, they may just be doing it. And that's really, to me, what the essence of social media is, is that it's, in a sense, just marketing yourself without really trying to sell anything. And so I think that's what the difference is. Right. And so I, so when I'm talking about blogging, I tell lawyers about blogging. I always say, look, if you want to know how to do a legal blog, you go to Marty Schwimmer's trademark blog and you go to school on it. Um, yep. and, and you will learn what you need to know about doing a great legal blog. Except I don't know that you can be successful because you're not Marty and you can't do what's unique that Marty does. But Marty, to the best of my knowledge, has never sat down and said, here are, here are Marty's 10 rules of what you have to do to have a great lawyer blog. And I don't think Marty would describe himself as a, as a legal blogging expert. But I do know for a fact, Tom, that when you and I have questions about what we want to do with our blog or we have ideas about it, Marty is definitely somebody we talk to, as is Ernie the attorney and Denise Howell. And, um, and, but then there's this, this other group of where we, I think if you say they're blogging experts or social media experts, I think I tend to look outside the the legal profession to to some you know people more in the technology world or in the design world or uh, you know other places. So I th it's an interesting phenomenon. I mean, I, gu I guess I want to end up with sort of my observations of what does make you successful in social media um, because both of them are things I struggle with. But it seems to me that if you want to be successful in social media, you got to put in a large amount of time because it is social and you have to engage with your audience, which, uh, you know, feeds off the time, but you got to have both time and engagement. And so for somebody like me who sees social media as, you know, sort of another channel for my writing and the things I do, um, I don't think I'm as successful in using social media as other people are because I, I don't put in the same amount of time or I don't engage with an audience in the same way other people do. So that's sort of my two best observations about uh, social media, which is probably why I'm an experimenter and not an expert or a guru. I'm not, I, I have essentially the same two observations, but so I'll, I'll go off and just give one extra observation of my own that, that the person who is successful in social media is someone who is able to develop a following. I talk, I've talked before about the idea of the trust agent. And, and I think that that is so important when it comes to, uh, working with social media. And by doing that, you're not selling your services. You're not selling anything. You are, providing information to people that is useful. You are becoming a resource. And really, that's not any different than what we talked about with blogs in the past. It's not any different now with LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter. It's it's really just sort of the same, just the technology has changed. Yes. Yeah, I mean, people have found a medium that works for them. They've found a voice that fits that medium. And typically, in the best cases, I think they're having lots of fun with it. And that comes through. But it's time for our parting shots that one one tip, website, or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. Well, the parting shot I want to use comes from uh, TechCrunch had a competition a while back called TechCrunch Disrupt, and they looked at new and upcoming software companies, and the winner of that uh, competition was a company called Saludo, or a, a product called Saludo, and I've been using it for a couple of weeks now.
now and I really like it. Saludo deals with the problem that uh, many of you may have about slow boot up times. Uh, when you uh, notice that it takes forever for your computer to boot up, that's because there are many, many, many programs that are probably starting up uh, all on top of each other or all one after the other, and that slows down your computer at the beginning. What Saludo does is it analyzes how long it takes each one of those programs to boot up, and then it divides them into three areas. The programs that you can immediately take out of your boot, saying, what are these doing here? You can start these programs later. Um, a medium category that gives you the discretion to say, well, I do want this to, to start up, or maybe I just want it to delay it so that it delays after all the main programs have booted up and, and comes in a little bit later so it's not hogging up the system resources. And then it leaves you that one set of, of, of programs that have to boot up with your computer. They are required. And so once you configure it, I was able to cut off, you know, I have a, I do, we'll say that I have a Windows Vista computer at home, so it is a little bit slow to boot up, but I was able to shave off two minutes off of my boot time by just modifying and managing where the programs were that started up. And I have to say, I really like it. So give it a shot. We'll put the link in the show notes. Dennis. That sounds great. I just want to take a second as uh, somebody born and raised in Indiana to note the passing of, of really one of the heroes of people who, who grew up in Indiana and, and elsewhere. It's just Coach John Wooden, formerly of UCLA, who died yesterday. And um, it's a good time to go back to his uh, his great autobiography, They Call Me Coach. And if you want to kind of get a distilled version of, of what he was about and the lessons he, he gave people, there's a book called The Essential Wooden. Um, I also went to TED Talks where there's a great talk by John Wooden as well. And that reminded me of what actually is my parting shot today is that I have a tendency uh, to download a lot of audio files, MP3s of, of people speaking. So it could be conference MP3s, that, that sort of thing. And it's people who've listened to the podcast know I like to listen to these on my iPod at double speed. Well, iTunes tends to set just the regular spoken audio, not a podcast, but just spoken audio you download directly from the internet um, as music. And so you don't have that double speed or the slow down speed setting. So what I found, and I think this is useful for the people who consume audio like I do, is you can go into iTunes, uh, see that that audio file that, that you have that's, say, a conference speaker, and just right-click on that. Uh, there's a menu that comes up. Just choose, uh, and, and you'll say, Get Info. There's a tab for Options. You click on that. You'll see a setting in there that says Media Kind. You drop that down and just pick Podcast. Uh, then when you when you sync up with your iPod, that, uh, that audio file will now be able enabled to run in double speed like the other podcasts you have. So, uh, if you if you consume audio the way I do and you like the double speed thing, it, this is a great little tip. Tom, I am I am dying for the day when I can listen to podcasts at double speed within iTunes itself rather than just on my iPhone. Oh, uh, no kidding! So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Links to the topics we discussed today, as well as how to follow us on our blogs or on Twitter, will be available on our show notes wiki, which is located at tkmreport.com. We're also on Twitter at tkmreport. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast at the Legal Talk Network site or in iTunes. And if you have questions or suggestions for upcoming 
upcoming topics, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network, the premier online legal media network. Be sure to keep your podcast portfolio diversified by listening to this podcast. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, the Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network. <laughs>